So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Maybe it's just my um, immaturity as an interviewer that I wish things had gone a little more smoothly and that I had not been interrupted or nitpicked at so much. But certainly, I, I was just straight up disappointed by her comments about violence against women. And that's me editorializing here. I ask the questions and somebody gives the answers to the questions. And it's not always about how I feel about that. So when you think of the Canadian Senate, the first words that might come to mind are corruption and mismanagement and scandal and unelected, appointed, yada, yada, yada. But it's always great when you can actually get in conversation with somebody who belongs to part of that body. And Desmond, you spoke to a senator. For the first time on this program, we did have somebody from our upper house in this country, from the house that reviews legislation passed by the House of Commons. And that is the longest current serving senator in Canada, Ann Cools. If you are somebody of Caribbean background in Canada, you have to know who Ann Cools is because she's somebody that we were told, like, you have to be just like this person when you grow up. She's been around in the Canadian Senate for as long as I've even known that politics was a thing that exists. And she's the first black person to be appointed to our Senate and the first black woman to be a senator in North America. In North America. Yes, sir. So we were really excited. There's been so much talk about the Senate recently about some things that maybe the Senate doesn't want to be associated with. Allegations of improper expensing. Claiming residence in a place that you don't even stay at. But, you know, we wanted to talk about that. We wanted to talk about what the role of the Senate is. We just had an election where... There were some parties that were actually saying, get rid of the thing altogether. And of course, we wanted to talk about Senator Cool's historic appointment to the Senate as a black woman and as a black person. We did get to all of that stuff, but perhaps not necessarily in the way that we anticipated. I'm Desmond Cole. I'm Andre Demise. And this is Canada Land Commons. Anne C. Cools was first appointed to Canada's Senate in January of 1984. Now, to give you some perspective on that, Microsoft launched its very groundbreaking Windows application in 1985. Anne Cools is the first black person to be appointed to the Senate in Canada, the first black woman to be a senator in North America. She served with the Liberals with the Conservatives, and now sits as an Independent, and Senator Ann C. Cools joins us from Ottawa this morning. Hi, Senator Cools. Hello, good morning. <laughs> How are you today? I'm very well. Thanks for being with us on the program. You know, Absolutely. I wonder, just to start off, you were born in Barbados, and I wonder yes, when you were... Correct. 
when you were growing up there, if you had these aspirations to public service, to politics, to all of these big picture places that you've gone to in your career. Did you dream about those things as a little girl in Barbados? No, I did not dream of those kinds of things, but I could say that I was immersed in those kinds of things because my family members were deeply involved in the politics of Barbados and fully involved in bringing uh, representative government and responsible government to Barbados. So I grew up hearing about these things. I didn't really appreciate and understand for many years to come. But I can say to you that in school as a little girl, and the name of my school was Queens College, I heard often that we had a duty to public service and to civic responsibility. Mm. So I heard that a lot. But, you know, to a five-year-old, six-year-old child, you hear that. And it's years later that you really begin to grasp and to understand what it all meant. But my uncle, my mother's brother, was a member of the cabinet. And he was the first minister of health in Barbados, for Barbados. And I remember as yesterday, the very first election, which is around 1950 in Barbados in universal suffrage. The term in those days used to be universal manhood suffrage. And now my mother had been a property owner, so she could always vote. But I remember that clearly, my mother going off to vote that day. And this was a huge period of, of liberalization in the British Caribbean because decolonization was in full motion, you know? Yes. But I only made the connections and dotted the I's and, and crossed the T's as I grew older and really to understand what the significance of that was because my family and my school mistresses always told me never tolerate or accept injustice always speak against wrong do not accept it if you're the last person to say no be the last one now we know you senator cools to be a very outspoken person and you've been a liberal and you've been a conservative and now you're an that conservative thing, i regret that by the way I, was, I sat as a member of the Liberal Caucus for 20 years, and yes. I ran as a Liberal with Mr. Trudeau. And uh, sadly, we saw a massive decline in the influence of the Liberal Party. And I would say the management of the Liberal Party in the years from about, say, 1998, 1999, through those years, you know. And very few people really understand how party caucuses work but they can be very difficult places to function in and sometimes very ruthless places. Yeah, but, tell us about I that, mean, you know, because we all well, I wonder, can't really We all wonder about what the relationship is between senators and the parties that they're affiliated with and that's been a big conversation in Canada recently. Can you give us any insight well, into that? Well, it is, but caucuses are large organizations and with the ascendancy of power and the almost total dominion over the rest that party leaders have started to assume in the last many years. Like for example, the, the phenomenon of the PMO, you know, is really, it's really quite a new thing. The Prime Minister's office. Yes, and the influence and the power that they throw around. But whatever the reasons, I'm saying to you, at that period of time, 
life was very difficult for me. And I quit the Liberal Caucus because I just could not put up with what was happening anymore. And some of that stuff can get very personal and very hurtful to those who do not see eye to eye. Tell us what a typical day for you looks like in Canada's Senate. Very busy because I'm always working on some large issue or some large speech or something or the other. For example, um, some months back, and I think it was in June, but I did a series of Senate speeches on the role and the function of the Auditor General of Canada because, as you know, uh, the government, by a government motion, invited the Auditor General of Canada in to audit the Senate. And I know a fair amount about the history and the purpose and the role of the Auditor General, and it was never ever anticipated by the statute called the Auditor General Act that this office holder should be auditing the Senate or the House of Commons. As a matter of fact, the Auditor General is supposed to report to the House of Commons. So when the government leader introduced that motion to bring the Auditor General into the Senate, I at the time opposed it and I spoke against it. And that speech there is still a matter of record. And I think I was uh, in a very small minority at the time. (laughs) Yes. So let's get into that, of course, because, you know, the Senate has been in the news a lot recently, and one could say for all of the wrong reasons, there is a large perception with the Mike Duffy trial going on and with ongoing investigations into the spending habits of other senators that there is a culture of perhaps mismanagement or um, lack of thrift and that senators don't have the kind of oversight that they need. So if not an auditor general... Well, I don't, you cannot have, the auditor general has no oversight of the Senate. Right. So then how does the the Senate regulate, how does the Senate then regulate itself? This is high institutions like, like the judges and the Senate. Senate is an extremely high institution. And the higher the process go, the more they're supposed to involve themselves in self-management. This is what you call the independence of the institutions. So I don't see those three senators in the negative way that you do. I see those senators, Duffy and Wallen and Senator Brazo, as individuals who were persecuted. That's a very, very different view than what we hear in the public on a day-to-day basis. Well, I want you to know that individuals are innocent till proven guilty. And I think, quite frankly, those three senators were treated very shabbily. Do you think it's politics then? Do you think it's politics, the decisions to suspend? You have to ask some of those questions to other people. But the Auditor General should never be called into action by virtue of a motion of the government. Therefore, Senator, if Canadians are concerned about the way that senators are spending money, what can you say to comfort the them? That is a, the Senate is a cheap institution. You know, I read in the paper that the cost of the Auditor General's audit was $24 million. Correct. That sounded to me like an extravagance. Compared to, for example, the amounts of money that senators are dealing with in their spending. Well, that the Auditor General has an opinion. That's an opinion. None of that's proven. 
Does this uh, whole issue of the Senate... But I'm trying to show you that you, you cannot on the one hand talk about Senate mismanagement of money and on the other hand just not notice that that was an extravagance. <laughs> I take that point for sure. Uh, my co-host on this program, Andre Demise, desperately wanted to be here to talk with you. He tells us that growing up in a Jamaican household, you were an icon and uh, I, I, people keep telling me that people keep people keep telling me that I am an icon. Even last night, I was in Toronto on a, on a forum, and a new a new MP described me as legendary. So I keep hearing all of that, and uh, well, I, I suppose it's true. But <laughs> well, what Andre I wouldn't say those to, uh... things. I wouldn't say those things about myself. So Andre's question for you basically was that. You are the first black person to be appointed to the Senate, but in all the time since, the aspect of ethnic diversity in the Senate, of racial diversity in the Senate, it hasn't really changed in its composition very much. Oh, no, much. no. There's a, lot of racial, there's a lot of racial diversity in the Senate. We Go have, on. We have Koreans. We, had, we have Pakistanis. We have uh, Indians. You know, we have uh, Vietnamese, we have Chinese. There's a lot of diversity in the Senate. I want to ask you about your role in a very important but perhaps little-known chapter of Canadian history, the Sir yeah. George Williams affair, the uprising yeah. that happened at Sir George Williams, which is now... Not an uprising. There was no... Not, it's not an uprising. It was a student sit-in. Very well. Uh, yes, the yeah. sit-in. The uprising occurred. sounds like a, a civil rebellion or something, but it's not, not an uprising. It was student well, uh, sit-in. But it was a quite charged time because students at the University of Sir George William, of course, were alleging that one of the professors at the school was treating them in a very racist and discriminatory manner. And many of these students, like yourself, were... Um, I was never a student at Sir George. I went to McGill. I'm yes. not a, I was not a student. I was, like many people, uh, we, we, many people had seen an injustice and were supporting those there. And you have to put that in into the social context of the era. This was the 60s, and the 60s was a massive awakening of consciousness and awareness of things past and things wrong. So the civil rights movements in, of the United States of America had a large impact, I would say, in Canada as well. What was it like? But there like? was no uprising. Okay, go ahead. Yes. What was it like? It's so long what, what? ago. You're talking about 46 years ago. You're like asking me, what, what is it like to be young again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just curious, you know, because these students at Sir George the, the, Williams seem so frustrated. What you have to understand is that a very small number of black students had for years been observing what they thought, what they alleged was racism. We have to remember a terrible disservice was done because the university declined to properly investigate those accusations. In today's community, that would be nothing. There's a complaint process, whatever. Right. And those issues would be dealt with in a process and without uh, much ado. You know, I think this was Canada's first real public exposure 
to the existence of racism. You know, you have to understand, wherever people are, there will always be isms, because that's just how, how human beings are. I want to talk about another ism that you've been outspoken on, and that is the ism that we refer to as feminism. You Ooh, have that uh, one. Yes, that ism. You have been a quite outspoken defender of men's rights in Canada. You've spoken out very publicly about this, and you've referred. I, I am. If I may, you've referred to feminism as a personality disorder that seeks to dominate and terrorize. Can you elaborate on that position? Okay, it, it, it's a peculiar kind of feminism. There were two kinds of feminism. There were the equity feminists who were, were seeking equality, and then there were the gender feminists. And the gender feminists are those who assert that there's some moral superiority that women have. In other words, violence is a gender characteristic. You see, not a human characteristic. In other words, men by nature are violent and aggressive. Women by nature are truth-tellers and kind. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Right, so this thinking did a lot of damage in divorce cases and in divorce law. And this is going back now some many years. And I took a very strong position on the firm ground that a child has an entitlement to a relationship with both its parents, both its mother and its father. Now, you say that uh, violence is a human quality and not a gendered one, but certainly you don't deny, Senator Cools, that the way that violence plays out in Canada and around the world is that it manifests itself very much as being against women that we talk about. That's not about true at all. That is not true at all. And I wish you would correct that. The major researchers and uh, in the field of domestic violence, like in the United States of America, people like Dr. Murray Strauss, Richard Gellies, that, that whole group. And in Canada, the lead ones, uh, like Dr. Donald Dutton at the University of British Columbia and Eugene Lupri and, and that whole crowd, their studies all show mutuality and symmetry in domestic violence. Men and women attack each other at the same rates. I mean, I think and that... And it, 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 is, it, is, it is to call this violence against women is to falsely frame the issue of domestic violence. And I did a lot of work in the field. As a matter of fact, in Canada, I was the front runner in the field of providing services to women and children. And very early, I learned that women were just as violent as men were. I had to discover that. But the evidence is there now for all to see. You in know, these big studies. Remember, they studied domestic violence as a, as a scholarship did not begin till in the person of Dr. Strauss, an, an American professor in New Hampshire. And if the first person who opened up a service to help women in, and children in these circumstances uh, was a woman in England, whom I know very well, called Erin Pissy. And she, in her work, writes and says that she too discovered 
that the women in her shelter were just as violent as the men they had left behind. So if we really want to understand the, the nature and the pernicious character of, of, of violence in human relations, especially intimate relations, which I think is a scourge of the human condition, you know, we have to understand and to look at the fact that men and women are both capable of violence and men and women do do violence to each other. Okay, but if I may come back on that, this is, for example, from the National Women's What are you doing? Are you doing a feature film on me or something? What are you doing? No, not at all. You know, we're just having a conversation here and you have very strong views on this and I just want to present... But but these are not feelings. I'm I'm a reader, remember. I understand. So let me give you you some statistics because you talked about intimate partner violence. Um, On average, every six days in Canada, a woman is killed by her intimate partner. Those are those well, are those are not those are not my statistics. Those are statistics from the National Women's Foundation. Every six days, a woman is killed by her intimate partner. Do you disagree with those? Every statistics? six minutes. Every six every days. Every six days. Anyway, I don't have I don't have that literature in front of me, and I'm not ready to be able to because I don't have those sources here. I would have to have copies of all of that and to look at that very carefully. But what I can tell you is, if you look to the literature, especially on domestic violence you will find what I've been saying. And you can go to Dr. Uh, Strauss's, what he calls conflict of, is his conflict um, scale, and to see how they measure it. So this is a larger issue than you and I can debate right now. But I'm saying to you, I worked in the field, and I studied and I read very carefully on all of this. And I tried to say to you, violence is not a gendered thing. But That's- there are many who have had a strong interest in painting men that way. But I saw a lot of violence by women against their children and against their spouses when I was in the business. I understand, Senator. Let's move on just because okay. I only have a couple but more I'm minutes with you. I'm not here to debate that. You know, no, I- that was a phase. That was a phase. I'm saying to you, I fought hard on the Divorce Act to, sh- to make sure that the act respected the rights and the entitlements of children to meaningful and continuing relationship with both of their parents. I understand. And that was what, so you call it men's rights. I would call it children's rights. Senator, <coughs> Senator and by the way, the literature, the literature supports my position, not what you're saying. But that's for another day, and I'm running out of time. I was told that I had a 15-minute interview with no, you. No, no, that's fine. This no, is no, going me, on for a long time. Let me, let me please ask you one more question to wrap up. Yeah. That, and that and is I've that- got lots of speeches. I have lots of speeches on this. In addition, the public has supported me in my position. I understand. If we could, I'd like to just move on and ask you a final question, and that is that Stephen Harper was prime minister for almost 10 years and had the ability to appoint senators during that time and he he doesn't have we have to stop saying they appoint senators they recommend names people uh, to the governor general the governor general appoints Canada and a lot of people are now misunderstanding our constitutional system because of the well you know words and so on but the prime minister has huge influence in that decision does he or she not say that again that the prime minister has a very, very huge influence on that decision, though. No, he makes a recommendation, but the appointment is Her Majesty's appointment. Prime minister has no legal power. All the legal power comes from the government general. 
So and this me, is no longer well understood. Go ahead. Okay, so considering that uh, Justin Trudeau now, he has said that he doesn't want any more liberal senators. He wants the Senate to be a more independent place. How do you think that that is going to play out in the coming years? Do you see... Well, I am waiting, like everybody else, to see how that is going to be working and how is it going to play out. But I think you should better interview him about what he think is thinking rather than me about what he's thinking. Well, when we get Prime Minister Trudeau on this program, I will be sure to ask him about that. But for now, Senator... Well, you, no, no, you can, you can ask those questions. No, I mean, lots of people are asking those questions. But remember, responsible government has utilized parties as a means of delivering a vote. So I am like you, I am waiting to, to hear and to see. Now, Andre, I know how excited you were to have Senator Ann Cools on the program, and then it ended up that you couldn't be here to participate in the interview. I was very upset about that. I know. What did you think when you listened back? I was actually a little bit disappointed, to be honest. Like On the show, we were, we're always appreciative when members of parliament and senators and, and people who basically have very, very busy lives in the public service take time out of their schedule to speak to us. At the same time, you having that kind of title or position doesn't mean you can just come on this program and bullshit us. I just, I, I kind of found that your conversation with her went from friendly and cordial and fact-based and then just sort of tailed off into the netherworld of BS. Okay, so a couple of things that really stood out to me. One is where we talked about diversity in the Canadian Senate. And the first thing she did was get very you know, defensive and say, well, the Senate is very diverse and we have people from Pakistan and people from Vietnam and yada yada. And yet there was an article um, by Nicholas Kyung of the Toronto Star where he cited somebody who actually did a study on the Canadian Senate and Parliament and basically came to the conclusion that the Senate and the Parliament were failing miserably. And you can go to the Senate website and look at the pictures of all the Canadians. And you just tell me, just like scroll through them and you'll see white guy, white guy, white guy, white lady, white guy, white lady, white guy. And I get that she's a part of the body, so she wants to defend it. But And, and here's something else that she did too. When you talked about Senator Duffy, see how the first thing she did was talk about how he was so shabbily treated. So it's not like she was looking at this independently and saying, well, hang on a second. Yeah, sure, there was there were some inconsistencies in what it was that he was claiming. She wasn't challenging you on whether what he was claiming was appropriate. She was challenging you on, well, this is not the process by which people have their expenses reimbursed. Which, like, who cares? I don't care. I was particularly disappointed in the interview by the senator's comments about violence against women. Because first, Senator Cools said that instances of violence were occurring equally between men and women. When I presented statistics that suggest that that is actually not the case, and I don't think that those statistics in Canada... She just kind of fell back into the mad rapper. Well, first of all, first of all, who's going to be asking me questions? See, like, she took that really, really personal that you were challenging her on facts. I was simply stating the facts that I have read and heard many, many times. I was looking up facts while we were having the conversation so that I could quote them properly. I do not think it is controversial or even up for debate in Canada whether or not violence manifests itself more in intimate partner relationships against women 
than against men. I cited the statistics. I can cite statistics from the National Women's Foundation, from the Native Women's Association of Canada, from METRAC. There's so many organizations, government statistics themselves about domestic violence bear out what I'm saying. But for the senator to say, well, I don't have those in front of me, and so I can't necessarily comment on them, to me was shocking. I mean, Senator Ann Cools was one of the first people to really push for developing women's only shelters in this country. And she's done a lot of work in that area. So I'm not trying to challenge that part of things, and nor am I trying to say that she's not allowed her own interpretation of what she sees feminism as being. But trying to quarrel about the statistics, saying that both men and women are- She quarrels are, with you on everything. When she was part of this, not the not an uprising, Desmond, because it wasn't an uprising. Yes. When she was part of this sit-in movement- she didn't want to actually be associated with anything called an uprising. She also didn't want to talk about how it had anything to do with, oh, this is the first time that Canada really had uh, its encounter with racism. Why don't you go Google the Sneed Party? Why don't you go you know, look up the people who tried to migrate out of the United States into Canada to escape Jim Crow slavery here, and then were met by a bunch of people who were saying, well, black people just aren't acclimatized to Canadian weather. And, oh, we don't want those Jim Crow problems in Canada, do we? Get out of here with that. This is the first experience Canada had with racism. Well, she like, said public experience. Public experience. I'm sorry. It's very public to me when people are appearing in the newspapers and saying, well, we don't want black people in I this agree. country. I agree. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing with that. Wait, wait, wait. Just to get back to the point, though. So it's almost like when she was young and she was like part of the movement and she could benefit from that, it was all gravy, right? She wasn't worried about what people thought of her being part of this sit-in. But now that she's in the Senate, like she's gotten where she needed to go, right? So it's almost like 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 someone's grandmother or auntie or whatever who kind of forgets that they were young and, you know, foolish one time and then they get to a certain age and they just want to act like they never did anything that they would ever disagree with now. The thread that ran through this conversation for me was that Senator Cools wanted to talk a lot about definitions of things and theory of things. And I wanted to talk about what was actually going on on the ground. So if you don't want to call the Sir George Williams uprising and uprising, if you want to call it a sit-in, that's fine. I don't know if that changes the devastating impact uh, that it had on people's lives when they were racially discriminated against, when they were beaten by their own police, when they had to hear people yelling, yes, they did use this language in Montreal in the street while that occupation was happening. Let the niggers burn. The building that was set on fire with, with black them inside of it. Inside of it, people were chanting in the streets of Montreal, let the niggers burn. You don't have to call that an uprising, but we shouldn't be quibbling about that kind of language when that's what was happening on the ground. We shouldn't be quibbling, for example, about whether or not men and women are equally capable of violence when it is clear that violence against women is an extremely more serious problem in how it manifests itself in this country and around the world. We're talking about patriarchy here. And maybe that's not a word that's part of Senator Cools' vocabulary on a day-to-day. But I don't want to talk about the theory of what could be possible. I want to talk about what's happening in this country. I don't know if we always well, were keep, able to Keep in mind, thing. she comes from the same body of people where one of them was complaining that she was on a flight and they gave her like cold brie and crackers or something. And she was upset about that. It's almost to me like this interview made a further case for abolishing the Senate. And the thing is, you have to understand who Anne Cools is for people in the black communities in Canada, at least in the Caribbean community. She's somebody that we hold in very, very high esteem. Like if you grew up in the 1980s like I did, you know who Ann Cools is if your parents were of a Caribbean background. Everyone was telling you, no, when you grow up, you want to be somebody like her. And I just, you know, I don't have kids now, but if I did, I would try to hide her from them. Like I wouldn't want them to know who she is. Like, nah, she ain't, she ain't one of us, man. 
Well, that's the program for this week. You can find us now on Facebook and on Twitter. Just search for Canada Land Commons and make sure you go there to give us your feedback about this and all episodes. This show is produced by Kevin Sexton. And the music of Canada Land Commons is produced by Nathan Burley. To visit the Canada Land website, just go to canadalandshow.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter. Not sorry. Get at us by email, desmond at canadalandshow.com. And andre at canadalandshow.com. You can subscribe to this program wherever you get your podcasts. And since you love it so much, we want you to support us. Patreon.com slash Canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will be back on Thursday. And Canada Land Commons is back next week, Tuesday. Bye-bye. Is what it is, man. Is what it is. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the comments team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So, from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to CanadaLand.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.